Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. Today we're going to do something different as an alternative to our typical conference calls or quarterly commentary uh, that is written. We're going to move our quarterly commentary to podcast format. Um, and with me today is, is Chris Wallace, uh, Senior Portfolio Manager and Lead Portfolio Manager for the Small Cap Value uh, strategy that we run. Um, so Chris has some prepared remarks uh, ahead of the call today, um, but prior to that, uh, just to quickly recap performance for the fourth quarter of 2018, um, we had negative absolute performance of 17.82%, um, yet positive relative performance as we saw the Russell 2000 value fall, negative uh, 18.67% for a relative outperformance of 85 basis points. Um, and with that, Chris, I'll, I'll turn this over to you uh, for your 4Q commentary. Thanks. Bet. Thanks, Dan. Uh, yeah, real quick. I mean, obviously, um, a very negative quarter, uh, ending with kind of the worst December in markets since the early 1930s. Uh, not surprising. We had warned in the third quarter that we, the Fed really needed to stop tightening monetary policy and allow the economy and allow markets to catch up with the tightening liquidity. And they chose not to do that. And more importantly, it's become an issue with the shrinking of the balance sheet. And it'll get in and we'll discuss why that was so impactful in not just our absolute, but our relative performance. Uh, and that's because we're finally shrinking the funding liquidity around and liquidity and the ability to be able to maintain positions and hold positions is more important now than the underlying fundamentals of the assets themselves. And we think these uh, kind of co multiple compressing disinflationary pressures, both within risk assets and the economy, will continue. Um, and they will continue until the central banks either stop or reverse the quantitative tightening of their balance sheets. Um, so I do think a lot of what we saw that really began on the very last few days of September and early part of October was a forced liquidation. So, you know, when I look at our own relative performance during the quarter, you know, it's not reflective of our typical downside protection. I mean, yes, we outperformed, but it was very modest. But that had more to do with the underlying price movement, not reflective of just shifting fundamentals or concerns about growth. It was really just a gross liquidation across the board. And you can really see that in our top five contributors and our top five detractors because um, they run the gamut, you know, whether it was a Fabronet or a Brady or an integrated device technologies or a Vertu or a Meridian Bioscience, you know, these are all uh, you know, cyclically oriented, higher beta names, yet they did really well on a relative and even an absolute standpoint during the quarter. And then when you look at some of the detractors, you know, they were also cyclical or they were geared towards specific sectors that were under significant pressure, whether it was energy or even the banks. Um, I think from our relative performance standpoint, you know, the biggest disappointment, not so much in just the downside capture, but when really looking at where valuation and fundamentals were, really was in the banks. You know, our regional banks underperformed uh, significantly during the quarter, and it probably cost the portfolio, you know, around 80 basis points to 100 basis points or so on a relative basis. And it really is unjustified based on the banks we own and the valuations and their exposure to any issues that may develop in the economy relative to the broader bank universe, because we're also having to be underweight banks as well. And so we do think, you know, we'll get some snapback valuations there. Um, and we also think 
even if the Fed uh, continues to shrink its balance sheet, which they will nearer term, or the ECB uh, can really starts to try to reverse or stop their level of quantitative easing, eventually the markets are going to delever to the point to where the underlying economic fundamentals of the businesses themselves are going to be more important to the price than who holds them and what strategies they were in. Um, so just real quickly kind of rehash kind of the macro of the market. You know, at the tail end of the third quarter going into the fourth quarter, it became very difficult to swap and fund uh, U.S. deficits that put pressure on liquidity. We continued to see shrinking of the balance sheets. We saw a tightening if if nothing else, out of uh, just verbal forward guidance out of the Bank of Japan, as well as a reduction in QE in the ECB. That then led to volatility increase in the marketplace. And when vol increased, a lot of levered players and leveraged strategies just had to reduce risk. So we saw a lot of forced selling in October. Uh, and it wasn't isolated just to the equity markets. We've seen high yield spreads widened out to about 200 basis points. Um, and they should have both high yield spreads and investment grade yields were at a level where they were offering zero real return over the risk free rates with just kind of normalized lost uh, expectations, nothing, you know, exaggerated like we saw in the 08 or 09 crisis. So, you know, from my perspective, we kind of have entered a, a bear market. We'll determine whether it's a cyclical bear or something more structural. And a lot of that will be dictated by monetary policy and fiscal policy as well. Um, we didn't go into this environment flat-footed. You know, we've expected volatility to increase. We knew that central banks, if they continued on their path, liquidity was going to get tied into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, we know what businesses we want to own and which ones we don't want to own. So we really tried to use the sell-off in October and November and even into December to add positions to the portfolio that we think offer, you know, our targeted return of 15%, offer downside protection from current valuations, and we really won't suffer any kind of permanent loss of capital. Um, the biggest kind of, we had a couple of positions that we exited or are exiting because they were deleveraging stories as well. And while the underlying businesses are stable and strong, we do think even if, you know, we've just seen a price movement in high yield, we do think credit has turned and we're starting to see that in the credit metrics. Um, and we're believers that when credit turns, it's very linear, and so it'll continue to deteriorate, may it be it slowly, and it, you never know how long it's going to deteriorate or how broad it's going to go. Uh, but with that, as we enter the refi windows that kind of begin in 2019 through kind of 2021, uh, those higher costs are going to pressure some uh, investment thesis where they did need to rely on some deleveraging. And quite frankly, with the sell-off, you know, we're able to redeploy that capital in areas where deleveraging isn't a necessary part of it. I also want to emphasize um, people are trying to read uh, too much into the price movements as far as what it's discounting economically. And I think people need to understand that when you look at a recession, a, re a recession recesses the excesses of the prior cycle. And it's really important to understand as it relates to North America, we don't have excess economic activity. Um, there may be 
excess price appreciation in homes and in luxury real estate and in commercial real estate. That's been factored in by lenders. It's been factored in by professional investors, maybe not so, you know, households that may have overextended. And so we'll have normal cyclical pain there. But the excesses of the last cycle were the excess liquidity. And that, that excess liquidity expressed itself in price. And so we are going through a price recession, not necessarily an economic recession. Uh, we do think it's likely that we will have a earnings recession, at least a significant downgrade in earnings expect, growth expectations in 2019. We do think that we're going to continue to see a slowing in economic activity. Um, you know, we're doing this podcast on the day that we saw a very strong jobs number. It's critically important to realize a couple of things. One, jobs are, one, are a very lagging indicator, just as inflation is. Two, when you really dig down into um, that jobs data, it's not quite as strong as what it looks like. If you saw people with greater than a high school diploma, they actually lost jobs during the quarter. You saw a lot of people stretching for second jobs. Uh, call it, you know, the seasonal Uber driver as, as it may be. And so it's not quite as strong as we'd like to believe. Uh, so we do think economic growth is going to continue to slow. We do think the pressures that exist now in Europe and China are going to spill over to our shores. There's a slowdown happening overseas in China that's well beyond uh, just the tariff negotiations. Uh, you know, they've kind of entered that liquidity trap where it's very difficult to add stimulus and continue down the same kind of uh, modes they were using for growth. And, and they've acknowledged that. So, you know, we're, we're leaving kind of peak growth, as we talked about early and late, late 26 or late 2017, early 2018, you know, synchronized growth was ending. That's clearly been confirmed. Now we're going to have a economic slowdown. We don't have excesses outside of, you know, we can have some weak autos. We can have uh, a little bit of weak housing, but it will be a, a, should be a fairly shallow slowdown, but that's not the case in price. So even though multiples have compressed, what I would say is the market I'm looking at now looks fairly valued. If it's not going to have an earnings recession or if you know we're not going to have a true economic recession, if we are going to have an earnings recession or we are going to have an economic recession, there is further multiple compression to go and there is further downside to go. Um, and we are in an environment where there's very limited monetary policy. Uh, I would really hate to see the Fed revert back to QE. Um, unless they needed to for systemic reasons, which I don't think will be the case. Um, and they really may, they may cut rates modestly, but, you know, taking them back much lower creates as many problems as it may solve. So over time, in order to address economic growth issues, it's going to rely more and more on fiscal policy. And we all know we've kind of exhausted a lot of the levers there and need to start dealing with some of those imbalances. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we're, we're not going into this flat footed. Um, we, we are not trying to uh, target specific cyclical recoveries. X, you know, energy clearly uh, is in an oversold condition. It'll recover back. You know, we took advantage of some of that volatility. A, get rid of anything that may have a balance sheet issue. But more importantly, some things really did sell off too far too fast. 
and have a very material upside in kind of a $50 to $60 crude environment. And we'll take advantage of that. And then we've built those positions back up. We're still overweight technology. Again, you know, with the news out of Apple, I can't ex- express it enough. We don't have exposure to cell phones. It doesn't mean if we own a semiconductor company, it's not going to go down because when they sell off those, they just sell off the semi ETF. And clearly our, some of our positions are in those, but we really do have some pretty unique strategic assets and technology. And we think that'll continue to benefit us going forward. Um, where, where I've said, you know, fundamentals and valuations are coming back in line. Uh, we're still materially underweight REITs. Um, and I really don't see that changing. And more importantly, I think the time to be defensive is kind of already behind us uh, when you have a sell-off as great as we did. So you want to take advantage of some of the deeply oversold conditions. Um, that being said, you don't do it with the idea that we're going to pick up and GDP is going to be growing at 3% for the foreseeable future. That's not the case either. So a continued modest growth environment, continued widening of yields, more money going towards investment back in businesses to grow, going towards deleveraging, less towards uh, share repurchases. And so in that environment, you just have a flattening of growth, a flattening of multiples, and you really are going to have to take rifle shots to generate alpha. From a relative standpoint, when you have this big a dislocation, uh, you're setting yourself up to start to outperform. And the reason is you buy your alpha. Uh, when you get those deep oversold conditions and liquidations and you can pick up unique assets that really do have uh, opportunities that are unique to that business, that's how you generate alpha. And so now that we've taken a lot of the excess valuations, those are starting to show up. But what it does mean this cycle, since we're going through a price recession, the alpha generation is going to come from the recovery. It's not going to come from the downside protection because everything's going to be sold because it's going to be a general liquidation and and a general reduction of of liquidity across all sectors, all asset classes. Um, And so I do believe the way to generate alpha going forward is going to be, well, what companies that although they sold off really do have the earnings and the opportunity to reinvest in the valuation support that they'll go on to recover and not just get back to their previous highs, but go on and exceed them. So I think very broad sell-off, very narrow recovery, which is kind of the inverse and the exact opposite you get um, out of a, you know a more typical bear market that's driven by economic fundamentals. It can be the exact opposite. So in a nutshell, that's you know kind of our view of the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, we have a little bit of cash. We're probably sitting at about four, uh, four to four and a half percent cash right now. Um, and we'll deploy that as volatility continues. But again, not with the eyes that we're going to get a big rush of monetary support from the Fed and not that there's going to be some big cyclical recovery. And yes, there may be some relief around some, you know, resolved tariff negotiations, but, you know, it'll, it won't have a, a lasting impact um, and so it's not anything we're putting a significant uh, uh, investment into. All right, excellent, Chris. Thank you very much for your commentary. We certainly appreciate it, and uh, and good luck as we roll into 2019. I'm sure everyone's hoping for a, for a bit of a turnaround here, and uh, we'll see you here in soon. Thanks, Dan.